You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP, the educational podcast for busy GPs. Today is a very special episode. On the podcast today, we've got three guests, but, but not really special guests as you'd know it. The guests are in fact myself, Dr. Tim Coe. Dr. Sean Stevens, welcome, Sean. Thanks very much, Tim. Nice to be here. And perhaps the unheralded and silent person behind the good GP, WA State Faculty Manager Hamish Milne. Welcome, Hamish. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. Great. Look, for curious listeners, we've decided to quickly reflect on the journey of the good GP and talk about what is the future of general practice. So it's a fascinating episode. It's something that we've actually thought about in the past, but it seemed timely to come back to the future of general practice, particularly as we go into the GP18 conference. So reflecting back, we've just got the metrics on the podcast. It's been an enormous success. We've had 65,000 listens in the last year and 83,000 listens all time time over 45 episodes congratulations and well done Uh, thanks tim it's been a lot of fun great journey what are the things that have surprised you about it well i think just seeing the take up over time that within within a week or two of of listing a new episode we've got hundreds if not thousands of listens and really the the momentum has gathered and gathered and you can see from those statistics 65,000 in the last 12 months it's a big chunk of the all-time stats it's fantastic isn't it and it's not all self-congratulations here i mean the thing that surprised me is actually the number of people that just come up to us and say thanks for the podcast and so forth and it's it's just really nice to know it makes a difference to people isn't it sean uh, look absolutely gp17 people coming up and including other podcasters big shout out to the other guys and it's been a huge amount of fun and uh, i loved your story tim when uh, it was the wa new fellows presentation recently and tim told me he just loved it there was a guy who came up instead of congratulations about getting fellowship it was yeah love the good gp i mean that gives me a real buzz yeah it was a very nice thing so Thank you to all the listeners out there. And in fact, what we'd like to extend is the opportunity to interact with you. So we've actually started an email, which is thegoodgp at gmail.com. And we'd like you to feel welcome to contact us and give us ideas about the podcast and even positive and negative reflections that you may have about what we can do better going forward. So we would really welcome your feedback at thegoodgp at gmail.com. Yeah, look, that'd be fantastic. And that may be the first of several ways that we can interact with people. I think that being able to communicate with listeners is brilliant. That will make us improve. And also, hopefully, we can get listeners communicating with each other on platforms such as Facebook. But I think one step at a time. Yeah, and look, the other thing I'd say is if you are coming to the GP18 conference and you see Sean, myself, even Hamish... Come and say hi. We just love to chat with uh, with listeners and we like talking about education and all sorts of things in general. Tim, it would be remiss if I didn't mention um, that you do have a Twitter account, the handle TheGoodGP. So tweet us at TheGoodGP as well. Uh, look, getting on to the episode, I really like the idea of the episode, which is the future of general practice. It's an idea that, that's really interesting to me, probably because I've been involved in teaching for so long. And, you know, I find registrars want to know what's the future of the profession and where's it going? So... I was asked to talk at the Practice Owners Conference on this very topic a few weeks ago and I sort of went through my themes of where things might go. Uh, I know, Sean, you've got some different ideas. So let's put our ideas out there. So I'll get started and I'll let you interview me, Sean, and then uh, then vice versa. Okay, sounds good to me. So tell me, Tim, you've obviously got a lot of ideas there. Give me your top three. What top three changes or themes do you see coming through for GPs moving forward? The themes I see in general practice as a profession going forward are 
Firstly, issues of supply of general practitioners. Secondly, changes to the way we fund general practitioners. And then probably not thought about so much is how the infrastructure of general practice might change. So just to touch on that idea of of supply first, and I I mentioned this at the conference, and I've got to say, the word I used was an oversupply, and I think I offended quite a number of people at the conference because there were... (laughs) Particularly our rural colleagues, yes. Yeah, they were really upset at the idea that we we might go towards oversupply or they might be in oversupply. I, I don't think there will be an issue of oversupply everywhere, but I do think the supply of general practitioners is going to change in the five to ten years ahead. If you look at the medical school numbers that are graduating from medical school, it's gone up astronomically during the time of our career, Sean. So my graduation year from medicine was 1997 at the University of Western Australia, and there were, I believe, 106 graduates. I think the most recent one for 2016 was in the order of 250. My suspicion is by the time another medical school comes on in WA, it'll be close to 400. And that's not too far away. So, and you know, the trends we're seeing in WA will be trends that you'll see everywhere across Australia. So what does that mean? It means that wherever you are on the supply curve, whether you're undersupplied, at the right supply or oversupplied, it's going to go up. And the supply of GPs will change the way we do our jobs. I think for general practitioners, we've been in undersupply in the metro area for a really long time, and we will see that moving away from that undersupply. And what it means is we're gonna have to probably be in a much more competitive environment for patients and the types of services that we offer. So, you know, my advice to GPs out there is, is to really understand who your patients are and work out what the needs in your community are and work out how you can service them better. Mm, Look, I totally agree with that, Tim, and I think a lot of GPs rail against this, and understandably so. But if you look at it from a patient perspective, you can see if you can't get an appointment with your GP or you're not getting the quality of service that you'd like or if they're too busy, you want more GPs, and that's why the government has responded to that and pumped up the number of graduates. But it does mean we're going to have to sharpen our game. Yeah, I think we're going to have to be much closer to match to what patients need and want, and that Mm. that might mean more hours of, of service. It might be providing different services. I guess points of differentiation with other practices, so whether that's perhaps some more of a focus on women's health or skin or, or whatnot, you really need to think about the idea that I think that your supply of patients is going to change in the future and how will you tackle that in the future. So the, the second theme going forward is this idea that our funding will change. And I, I think fundamentally most of the big medical organisations are coming to grips with this idea that fee-for-service probably is a difficult funding solution long term with a growing and ageing population in Australia. So, you know, if you look at it from an economic point of view, the issue with fee-for-service is that government has to underwrite a blank paycheck for health funding in general practice, basically. So if we look at moving forward into a time of economic constraint, it's only natural that they're going to want to move towards block funding where they particularly want to fund outcomes rather than fund events. And that's, in my dealings with the RACGP and other organisations, the language government keeps coming back to is, we want outcomes, we want outcomes, we want outcomes. And from, you know, the difficult thing from a practice point of view is how do we deliver outcomes? Because a lot of what we do is actually health promotion and preventative work, which 
you don't bear the fruits of, of return for a really long time. So that's the difficulty that we face as a profession. But indeed, government, I see, will come to us down the track asking for outcomes. And I think we just need to get our heads around how can we deliver outcomes going forward. Mm, I think not just delivery, but also measurement. What outcomes do you want to measure? How useful are they? Are they true clinical endpoints? I am not so pessimistic for the future of fee-for-service. I think it will end up with a blended service, personally. That's that's my feeling. Yeah, no doubt. I think we've got a high-performing health system that's based on fee-for-service. I, I would never say that fee-for-service needs to end. I can just see, if you think about a big Australia, you know, they talk about a population of... 40, 50 million people in in the decades ahead and an ageing population at that, how are they going to fund that? And particularly this idea that you just don't know how much the the health spend is going to be because it's a sort of blank cheque approach. So I'm, I'm not arguing for it. I just see it as a trend going forward that increasingly we're going to to have to work in this idea of block funding for outcomes. I think the conversation needs to happen now about what kind of outcomes do we think we can start to deliver? And the part of the problem with a lot of the the models that are being put out there, and let's just say in models like healthcare homes, which uh, the government's sort of pushing is, they've looked at very short-term and tangible outcomes for costs. So, you know, one of the things that government tries to look at is how do we prevent people coming into hospital? And the reality is that's a really complex problem to try and prevent. And we, we all know in general practice, We can't predictably change hospital outcomes easily, otherwise we'd be doing it. So my feeling is we should be looking at delivering outcomes based on delivery of health promotion and and education. And I think that's where the really good work from general practice could go. Mm, Okay. And your third point was changes to infrastructure. Run us through that. I've got to say, I've watched the general practice profession, you know, myself as a practice owner for the past 20 years, and I think it's easy in general practice to think the job's going to stay the same physically forever. And what I can tell you now is the infrastructure that we have, the physical infrastructure and probably the technology infrastructure, I believe is going to change. So I've looked at practices from 20, 30 years ago, and what they actually have is really large areas for notes they have different size consulting rooms, they have different size patient treatment rooms. And the reality is the flow of, of what we do has changed in those 20 years. So, you know, we now don't have paper notes, so we don't need large storage areas. The reception area, I think, is, is up for changing now. I look at your experience now of walking into a bank and people will say they hate going into a bank. But if you think about when you used to line up for the bank 20 years ago, you would remember going to remember the bank. Remember it well. Large number of tellers with bars and so forth. And if you go to a bank nowadays, you've got a greeter who comes to you and offers you a cup of coffee and sits you down in the lounge. It's a very different experience. I think the experience of going to a general practice is going to change in a similar way, not the same way, but we'll probably have to start moving our infrastructure around. And practices probably need to be thinking about that. Similarly, technology infrastructure is going to change. I mean, I think cloud-based software changes a lot of our technology infrastructure. But beyond that, if there is sort of more of this push towards video and telehealth, very possibly a lot more of our work won't be done from a desk as we know it. Maybe the consulting room will change. So I think GPs and practices need to be thinking around changes to infrastructure now because it's actually hard to change the infrastructure in your practice. It takes a long time and it's hard to move things around easily. Mm, Okay. 
Thanks, Tim. Sure, let's go to you. So okay. what do you think is going to change and, and what are the future of general practice in your eyes? Well, I've, I've sort of narrowed the question a bit there, Tim. So I've thought about technology and, and you know, how is technology going to affect things and, and what does that future look like? And I think the first thing to say is that in most industries that have seen change and particularly revolutionary change, the industry hasn't seen it coming. For example, Kodak, been there for 100 years, within five years the digital photography had bankrupted them and they were gone. Does general practice face a future like that? Look, I, I don't think so, but then I'm in the industry, so I don't necessarily know. So I think we need to be open to all sorts of new ideas. And as you've said very eloquently, we need to be ready to change and adapt. What do I see that is likely to lead to change in general practice. So I think some of the ones in the near horizon, communication with patients. I mean, you mentioned telehealth. I think telehealth is a pretty obvious one. Funding models are definitely going to get in the way. The The federal government has been very reluctant to fund GP to patient consultations. You know, they'll, they'll do the rural and outer metro consultations between a patient and a GP and a specialist, but even simple and really, in my mind, no-brainer things like GP to residential aged care facility patient, that is just dying for a technological solution. That hasn't been forthcoming. So I think as GPs, we're going to have to find ways of being able to meet our patients' needs and provide them with what they want. Because let's face it, having a video consultation is far more convenient. You don't have a risk of picking up a cold. You do it, you don't have to sit. If the doctor's running half an hour late, you can put on a cuppa or check your emails. So so, yeah, I, I see a future for that, but the if we get to a block funding model, like you mentioned, then that's something that could come into its own. The other themes that were explored at GP17, 17, 17, yes, it's last year, uh, was the, the tech-based consulting and the asynchronous consulting. And, you know, the software packages are starting to dip their toes into this area as well. So yeah. I think communication, particularly if we move towards, dare I say, oversupply, we're going to have to think about the service offering with patients. So I completely agree on communication. Yeah, look, actually, that asynchronous consulting was exactly my next point. That's one that a lot of people don't think of. And it's interesting, I, I was involved in a trial of some software that used asynchronous consulting. And as patients came in for a consult, I was sent a text saying, would you like to consult with your GP after this face-to-face consultation. And I was actually surprised how few of them took it up. In about a 12-month period, I think there was two who actually took it up. I mean, there was a fee for it. So again, it gets back to a fee, you know, when the patient can phone up for free and then you phone them back at your convenience, then why should they pay even $25 for a, an asynchronous consultation? But I think, again, if you get it moving towards oversupply, and you have the ability to follow up and provide that extra level of service with an asynchronous consult, then I think that's something that patients will appreciate and they'll be prepared to pay for in a, in a private fee. The other thing is, I, I've been putting a bit of thought around this, I think you can differentiate between an asynchronous follow-up from a face-to-face consultation and a patient-initiated asynchronous consultation that might prevent a presentation and I think patients would be willing to pay for that. I mean they're already willing to pay for a prescription to avoid them coming in or a specialist referral to avoid coming in. So I think that is something that probably isn't that far into the future. 
Something that I think is a, a long way into the future is the use of artificial intelligence or AI as a decision support tool. Now, if you had told me this five years ago, that you'd have AI sitting behind a consult and uh, listening in on the consultation and helping you with your differential diagnosis, I would have laughed at you. But the pace of change has just absolutely staggered me and some of the things they're picking up is, is incredible. I listened on the radio not that long ago and they've now got a Google service where you can, I'm, I'm an Apple person, so say so use the Apple example, hey Siri, book me a table at XYZ Chinese restaurant and they can phone up and they can speak to somebody with a thick Asian accent and book you a table at a time that if your time's not available, half an hour later than your time and get back to you and go, is this okay? I'm just like, jeez. We should say that we are actually recording this on your iPhone and you now have a booking at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so, you're sorted for dinner at least. <laughs> you're joining me, Tim and Hamish. <laughs> yeah, I think the idea of that technology interface is a reality. It's coming. It probably isn't what we're imagining in artificial intelligence. I perhaps, in an earlier form, would envisage more interaction with uh, what people might know as chatbots, which are the little pop-ups that, that interact with you on the screen of websites. And I can see chatbots gathering information from patients before they come into the room, like, is your address correct? Or, you know, is your email correct? Or how many problems do you have today? Do you need a prescription today? Uh, and it just gets people dipping their toe in the water and slowly gets them doing more and more. I can also see perhaps us in a not too far future tasking bots to oh would you mind following up Mrs Smith to make sure that she's sticking to her diet in a month's time and getting a blood test in two months mm. time so you know mm. perhaps that's the interaction mm. we're, we're sort of talking about mm. um, sorry that that actually is now my iPhone going off so apologies <laughs> there Sean so yeah look at, I think that's a, a really fascinating insight and perhaps not the future we were thinking about two years ago when we last recorded this podcast Hamish, did you have any... Well, I just thought I'd reflect. I mean, you were talking about changes in infrastructure and Tim and Sean, you were talking about these technological changes and I suppose that change is is what we should be um, anticipating more of. Uh, We should be open to these changes and open to innovations and what kind of disruptive technologies are coming down the pipeline, we just don't know. And that sort of flexibility of test and trial to innovate is is what's going to set practices and GPs apart. I mean, you talked about the challenges of supply and how you need to be slightly different well imagine the the great experience of coming to Tim's practice in 10 years time and you know touch screen panels as you walk in to say hey I do need a prescription today that kind of thing these are all things that will be enabled by technology and will be only limited by imagination look there's some great thoughts thank you Hamish and thank you Sean so once again thank you to the listeners out there who've supported the podcast it's been a great honor being a podcast hasn't it sean and I? Uh, look absolutely it, it really is a, a huge honor it's a really great bunch of people that we work with here and it's great to hear all our listeners and we're really really touched by the messages that we get so thank you so don't forget to email us at the at gmail.com and if you are coming to the gp18 conference in the gold coast on the 11th to the 13th of october come and find sean and myself we'll be the ones wearing the good gp badge and we'll look forward to uh to talking to you thanks a lot thank you